Welcome back to Conversations Different, the podcast from the Santa Fe New Mexican. This week, we are talking to Dr. Timothy Nelson, historian and author of Blackdom, New Mexico, The Significance of the Afro-Frontier, 1900 to 1930. Welcome. Thank you for having me. This is really going to be an interesting uh, podcast, I can already tell, <laughs> just from reading about your book and your research. Um, but you grew up in California, went to Santa Monica Community College. How did you end up as an Aggie? Um, it was my place of last resort. I got to be honest. I thought I was going to Albuquerque. I thought I was going to be a Lobo. <laughs> and they was like, nah, you're an Aggie. So I went back and told my coach because I got recruited to play football at New Mexico State. That's how I ended up there. Okay. And uh, I said, so what's an Aggie, right? And right. so and then I ended up falling in love with New Mexico State. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, I'm married to a Lobo, so I'm, I'm, I'm a fond uh, UNM person, but I have many good friends. As they say, some of my best friends went to New Mexico State. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Now, before you got there, did you have an idea of either the borderland or the Afro-American frontier, or was that something that you learned as you studied? Formally, I had no idea, okay? Uh, I had been introduced to it through the church, so it doesn't have the same cowboy, cowboyness to it, right? So I was in the cowboy culture, although there were, there are, there is such a thing as Compton cowboys, literally cowboys that live in Compton and horses and all of this. If you Google New York Times 2020, okay, you'll see the Compton cowboys on their horses in an anti-racist protest during George Floyd. All of them came out with their horses. Oh my gosh, I had tens. no clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds of them came out. So, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's a cowboy culture more so that I was used to. So when I started doing it as an academic, I could totally see it. Even right. through the parts that didn't say this person is a cowboy, there are certain elements that created the cowboy in my mind. So yeah. Wow. Oh, so you get to you know Las Cruces. It's you know, different from Los Angeles about a little bit, a little bit, just, you know, better tacos, different tacos. Um, and then you ended up going to Iowa, which is Ooh. another, I would think, shocker. Yeah. And, and how does being in the interior then make you think about the border? Well, uh, I think of borders in, in not just one way, but I think of borders, period. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I went to Iowa, University of Northern Iowa, and, and there I saw the border in Cedar Falls and Waterloo. And those are two towns that are bordering. And Cedar Falls ends up being like a uh, suburb of Waterloo. Well, Waterloo is where black folks migrated after the Civil War and before, but definitely after the Civil War, up the Mississippi River and end up in Iowa. So you have black folks in Iowa, well, you know, for a long time. So that border between the two is how I kind of saw the borders. Well, you get what I'm saying? So, so the shock for me, I could relieve it if I crossed that border into Waterloo, where there was a lot more black culture. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, and that's important. I mean, because it, it's such things, you know, if you go to an all white town, 
there's not going to be anybody that can cut your hair necessarily. <laughs> That's the first thing you find out. Yep. That's how I ended up with dreads in New Mexico too. Right, because that yeah, way yeah. you don't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't have yeah. to worry about it. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. I learned that one summer. Uh, my nephew and niece came for this summer. Mm-hmm. And the first thing their mom told my mom is, you've got to find a barber because we keep his hair short. <laughs> and we had to go to Albuquerque from oh, Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so it was a different sense. skill. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's just things that you don't think about. You don't think about them until it's that time. And you're like, ah, I need to get my, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and until it happens to you. And then you go back to UTEP. So d- was that just that's where you got in, so you get your Ph.D., or did you want to be on the border? Oh, I definitely wanted to be on the border. After being in Las Cruces, Las Cruces. Yes. <laughs> um, the crosses, because it's English only here. Indeed, no, just kidding. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I... I had been in California. I had been on the East Coast a little bit through the military. And uh, Las Cruces had a, I don't know, a feel to it, a vibe that I was not used to, but it was good because I could get rid of people. Like, you know how you're in L.A. and you just keep driving and there's just people everywhere? Yes. First time I felt that was in Las Cruces where there was no people. Like, you could drive and then there's no people. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. So that's kind of like how, you know, Las Cruces kind of you know, uh, kind of grew on you. Yeah. It yeah. grew on me after that point where I was like, you know, I get to think now I get to do art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah one of the things I found, cause I went to graduate school back East. I went to school in Washington, DC and I couldn't get over how there was always buildings and there were always people and the West has space. Yes. And I don't care where you are, as long as you have sunlight and space, you're pretty good. It changes you. I, I used to recruit students from Compton Unified School District. And the first thing I would do, the first night they're here, I would have them go out to A Mountain. Now, that's when the lights stop. Yes. And the road, you know, gets gravelly and the silence. So I turned off the radio. We had the radio up as soon as we crossed over the border or, or 25 went towards a mountain and you could see the uh you could feel the anxiety of the kids going up from Compton because it's totally dark it's totally silent and they can't see anything yeah. so you you just hear no street this. lights yeah yeah you get this awkwardness where they're like hey man hey where are you taking us yeah hey man like what are you doing yeah, so, you're in the middle of a slasher movie and, and the professor's not bringing exactly. you back exactly <laughs> and then when they get out of the van and I tell them to be quiet yeah. relax look up and they saw the stars for the first time oh. i mean you know what i mean like yeah, when you no. see it for the first time in new mexico pfft. no totally yeah. and that's one of those things that if you love it mm. you're going to have a great time at college and i bet you some of those kids wanted to go home right away it they wasn't did. for them they yeah. did and a lot of them wanted to come back some of them brought their family nice mm-hmm. nice yeah that the, the people who are attracted to the west and to the space and to the sunlight and to the darkness now we are say different. west we say West, so since we're talking about my book and that kind of stuff, yep. it's also Mexico's northern yes. frontier. See, that's the borders things that I mean. These borders change, okay. and then the context change. So, yes, the that's West. Right. We do deal with the West. Yeah. I, and, and actually, California is further West, see? but I'm talking yeah. about the cowboy West. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. And, of course, if, if Texas does secede, we're talking about part <laughs> They already of- have. They just haven't done it formally. I know. I just, I, I, I tell everybody, I don't care if they go, just don't try to take New Mexico with us, with them, because they think that we're part of Texas. And oh, I'm like, well, they've been thinking that since they started. They thought they had up until the real ground. You're about yeah, to give me up to my Montana? history lecture. I know. Well, that's what we want. That's what we want. But before we get back into history, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be back soon with Conversations Different. 
Thanks, Inez. This is Patrick Dorsey, publisher of the Santa Fe New Mexican. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Conversations Different with Inez Russell Gomez. Great local content is only possible with a talented staff dedicated to bringing you the best local content possible. For that staff to do its work, we need your support by subscribing to the Santa Fe New Mexican. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. And if not, there's never been a better time to subscribe. In addition to our home-delivered newspaper that comes with full digital access, we also provide digital-only subscriptions for SantaFeNewMexican.com. We'll also be releasing more online-only audio and video programming moving forward. The Santa Fe New Mexican has been here for nearly 175 years, and we want to continue being your source for local news and information. Visit us at SantaFeNewMexican.com slash subscribe or call us at 505-986-3010. Thank you. It's a new day in New Mexico, and the doors to boundless opportunity are open as tens of thousands of New Mexicans reach higher to pursue a dream, broaden their horizons, and retrain for a better job. With the New Mexico Lottery and Opportunity Scholarships, you could build yourself a better future anywhere in the state. You put in the hard work, we'll help with the costs. For eligibility details, visit reachhirenm.com. Welcome back to Conversations Different. We are talking to Dr. Timothy Nelson about his book, Blackdom, and talk about what Blackdom was and is today. <laughs> I'm glad you said is today as well, because that's what's uh, coming up in the next book, which I won't be talking about now, but uh, the idea that it's been resurrected, because what you have is the old narrative of Blackdom. That's what kind of permeates the media landscape until me where it says that blackdom was a failure. Okay, so it wasn't a failure. It was a success. So what is it? It's a successful black autonomous project uh, where black folks proved, well, they didn't need white folks. And one of the things that led to the foundation is that people kind of wanted to get away from the laws of the United States and basically the apartheid nature of society. Mm. And they did. They did when they were able to exist under the umbrella of the Blackdom Townsite Company. But the minute they stepped out of their range and went into Roswell or Artesia, they faced the harshest of uh, 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 Southerners. Right. And Roswell is one of those places where Mexican-Americans had to use different water fountains as well, as, oh, yeah. from what I understand. Oh, yeah. And it was a southern oasis. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm from northern New Mexico. And when I grew up, I always thought everything was like Las Vegas, where we just all lived together. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until we moved to, to Texas with my stepdad that I found out that, you know, there was a whole area of town where all the Mexican-Americans had to live. And then they had a canyon in the middle, and all the black people were on the other side of that. Lubbock was the most segregated city mm -hmm. in the nation for years and years mm -hmm. because of how they divided it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a lot of time particularly black folks in these areas, so you're talking that border between New Mexico and Texas all the way up, you have black folks who petitioned to be separate 
Right. Remember, you have separate but equal as Blackton is starting. Right. right? Uh, Plessy, uh, 1896. And black folks took it seriously. Oh, I am equal now. I'm not three fifths a person. Oh, I uh, we we can legally live free from white folks. Let's do this. So what you have is a lot of that establishment there. And that's kind of the history that I'm bringing up, even though I'm talking about Blackton. I'm talking about the whole consciousness. You're putting it in context. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a phenomenon phenomenological study on blackdom that allows you to see other black folks through that lens. Like, for example, George McJunkin in Raton or in Colfax County, that that area, he's technically by himself and they consider him a lone cowboy who changes archaeological study for everyone on the planet. But he was separate from blackdom. Most people would think, but what you see together is that he had the consciousness of those people who were in Blackdom. So I can get into that. That's a longer version of what I'm talking about, but that's the Afro frontier that I'm describing. Well, it kind of puts New Mexico in in our part of the Southwest or the West into the idea that we were a frontier well past the age of horses. I mean, because people would come here to reinvent themselves, to find a new life, or mainly to be left alone. It is still frontier space, which I have to start with. Blackdom was on Mescalero Apache Reservation land. Okay. Okay. And some Blackdomites were buffalo soldiers, so they participated in the genocidal campaigns against indigenous peoples in order to steal their land. And that set up black folks to be able to homestead and uh, participate in the taking of indigenous land. So I just wanted to... Right. Land that we, we have such a complicated history. <laughs> it's complicated. It is, and it it's is. still being complicated as we go along today because what we're most most of us are fighting is this tricultural narrative of right. this, you know. And we all get along. So beautiful. Yes. There's never... <laughs> that's the thing I've been fighting with this Blackdom narrative is that it was set up to be a part of this tricultural narrative, which means insignificant. Mm-hmm. So what you hear is how insignificant Blackdom was. And yet when you read my book, you will fall apart at how, ah, why I do not know this. For example, Blackdom Oil Company. Why do I not know this? I've been in New Mexico my whole life. That's usually what I hear. And I said, yeah, uh-huh. You, mm-hmm. You've been here your whole life and you haven't heard it. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, I think, you know, forget that Esteban came... You know, we 1540s, had 1540s, I think, something like that. A long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. How, I'm very specific <laughs> yeah, about my historic yeah, yeah, dates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's like, obviously, there were, in, you know, Native people here. There were Hispanic yeah. people here. But people don't even realize with the Hispanics, you know, there were Greek soldiers. There were Austrians. There were French. I mean, the reason people have those names like Godelet or Griego is because they came from different ethnicities. Yeah, so that's what I mean by when I say New Mexico's northern frontier, because when we get to the West and you're talking about New Mexico, that's maybe what, 1800s? If you yeah. if you want to get serious, Mexican independence, what, right. 1821? So it's not a long time ago. When we talk about New Mexico, for example, are we talking about the state, 100 years or so? Yeah. Or are we talking about 10,000 years? 10,000, always, you always. Do you get That's what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So that, that, that is the, 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 yeah. the thing that we are having issues with today is not understanding the, the gravity of only thinking of New Mexico through the lens of 100 years. Right. And only thinking of it through the lens of the United States. Yes. Because yes. it... it we thank you. we got See, conquered. Thank you. Thank I mean, you. and that gives a different it's sense. It's still being yes. conquered. That's well, that's the now it's being assimilated in a, in a strange way. I think, but 
Yeah. Yeah, that strange way I, I've seen in uh, substituting in the Santa Fe Public Schools. What I, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I look at the books, the survey the uh, history books in the Santa Fe Public Schools, I can see how uh, they position blackdom, again, as a failure or as a nominal issue, a paragraph to talk about and then move on rather than giving it the space that it deserves. So, yeah, that, well, that's the colonization or conquering that I'm describing. That makes sense. And it, it kind of, it's not right, but when you look at it, how New Mexico d- deals with other races in our historic past, it's kind of how the world or the United States deals with New Mexico in the telling of the history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was lucky I stayed here until I got New Mexico history. Mm-hmm. But then I moved and I went to, you know, basically an American public school, mm-hmm. got Texas history, <laughs> but they didn't talk about the fact that New Mexico had been here, that we had a Pueblo revolt uh-huh. or any uh-huh. of the things. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky for whatever reason in Las Vegas, even though I know colleagues and and contemporaries of mine didn't learn those things in school, they mm-hmm. say. I knew about the Pueblo Revolt and and learned it. And we leave so much out if we don't have the whole story. Tremendously, tremendously. So that's why I will go back to the, Mexico's northern frontier, because that's also a colonization period, too. But so that's why I describe the 1519 project rather than just the 1619 project, which leads you to thinking that black folks were just slaves. No, they were also part of the genocidal campaigns against indigenous peoples yeah. in the 1500s as conquistadors. Right. right. They, they, so when you look at it through that lens and you you realize that Mexico without that border, we're all talking about this migration northward and southward Santa Fe Trail. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. When you start making that more vivid, it's hard to look at New Mexico through the lens of race. And we have to go through our minds and go, oh, wait, that's right. Race doesn't exist. Racism does. Racism does. Mm-hmm. But race doesn't exist. So there's a history there. And that's kind of what I go through in the book. I talk about how race is separate from what these people did in Blackdom, even though it's called Blackdom. Right, right. Makes sense. Now, where did those people go when the township started to, because you have 1900, 1930, where did, did they move to Roswell? Did they come to Albuquerque? Okay, I'll ask this question first. If you own your home. Yes. Okay. And you leave you own it. You still pay taxes right? on it for it's the still, next 10 years. It's still your house. Still your house, right? So did you leave? I mean, if you still own the house and you, you're somewhere else, did you? Well, you my, still have. Yeah. My point is, to, I just want you at that intersection because they technically didn't leave because you have miles and miles of land that okay. is unaccessible because the state has to give them permission. But accessible miles and miles of land that they still own, their families still own. You have a land trust with different families. But uh, so when did they leave? You could say 1920s, 1930. That was because they struck oil. So when you strike oil, you take those royalties and you move on to California, New York, Detroit, whatever city is, you know, hopping and popping. Well, it's the 1920s. So you're talking about Harlem. You know, so if you have the money to do that, you're going to go. And at the same time, the Ku Klux Klan. Right. comes in. And there's a huge fight across the country. I've been reading the old newspapers when they're trying actually to exterminate it. And it, it's, well, in, in New Mexico, there wasn't that kind of fight because the Ku Klux Klan took over the legal system by the 1920s. 
Shortly after uh, uh, World War One, you have the Freemason lodges becoming uh, home to uh, um, quote Americanism, which was really hiding what the Ku Klux Klan was doing within these fraternal orders. Wow. And on that note, we will take a break. We'll be back in a moment with Dr. Timothy Nelson and Conversations Different. My name is Maria Jose Rodriguez Cadiz, and I am the Executive Director with Solace Sexual Assault Services. Our mission is to prevent sexual violence and empower survivors of sexual violence through restoring dignity, strength, and resiliency. For almost 51 years, Solace has reduced the impact of sexual violence. We do it by focusing on human rights, social justice, hope, and dignity. We believe survivors are experts in their own experiences and acknowledge that empowering them is crucial to their healing. Our advocacy, forensic interviewing, and therapy services are centered to their needs. Our sexual violence prevention programs in schools and community is just as important. Please check our website at findsolace.org. And if in need, you can call our 24-7 hotline, which is 800-721-7273. Your support is crucial to the lives of survivors. Thank you. Gracias. We are back with Conversations Different, talking to Dr. Timothy Nelson. His book, Blackton, was published last summer, and in a few weeks, he will be doing readings at the Santa Fe Public Library. We will have those dates on our webpage, and uh, talk about uh, what you'll be doing when you talk to people at all the branches of the public library. Normally, I do a reading and then a question and answer, and I keep it just wide open. This time I'm going to do some practical exercises. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm going to keep us beyond analog and we're going to go digital a little bit, right? Like uh, to help people, if you're going to come first, Google Afro Frontier. And I'm not going to tell you why, but I'm just going to give you a heads up to Google Afro Frontier before you get there. And if you're not coming, still Google Afro Frontier and you'll get an idea of what I'm describing. Okay, that sounds like we have homework before we show Indeed up. Indeed you do. I tell you. That's... Dr. Nelson is in the house. <laughs> um, when you're talking about New Mexico history, it seems to me this book is describing a history that many people who live here are unaware of. Are they eager to learn about it and to kind of expand their perception of the past? It's a complicated question. Oh, Uh, good. It depends. There's always a reception. Oh, this is new. But then when you figure out the implications of what I'm saying that is new, it causes you to change your perspective or not. Right? So now there becomes a conflict between what you're hearing and... Uh, what you thought was true. And when that happens, are you going to listen to Dr. Nelson or are you going to listen to popular understandings or your own understanding? That's usually where that intersection of conflict begins. Yeah. 
We don't like to think about our ancestors being ratty people. And the reality is that most of us, you know, had bad people in our past. Yeah. Yeah. That's why in this narrative of blackdom, in this history of blackdom, at the center is Mitty Moore Wilson, a madam, bootlegger, gunslinger. Okay. So uh, 1917, this is uh, World War One. She's on trial for attempted murder of her fiance. Now, this is the gunslinger part. He comes in talking mess and she pulls out a revolver and puts two holes in his coat without touching him. This is in Roswell. But she also has a homestead a whole square mile south of Blackdom. Wow. And she's one of the key players in Blackdom Oil Company. So you have a black woman in the, quote, Wild West who strikes oil. Have you seen uh, the movie on Osage? Killers uh, of the Kill- Flower Moon? Yes. I read the book and we that's our, our most successful podcast to date same, was on that. Same thing. time period yep. and also the same adversaries. White people wanting your money? Now, white or- people in this case, are not just, quote, white people. Because, again, in this book, race doesn't exist. Okay. These are people of a certain consciousness. Okay. I'm going to put it that way, and you'll get, you'll get what that means in, in, in the book. But uh, people of a certain consciousness, a white consciousness in particular, tries to shape this uh, southern oasis and make it more like the south. And so they start bringing in these uh, vagrancy laws, for example, because the Klan is coming in, right? They want to show white supremacy. So that's kind of the shorter version. <laughs> wow. That is something that is not necessarily known. And that's the, the, the whole reason people do research, write history yeah, books. Exactly. Is, is to teach you something that maybe you didn't know. And that's what we're hoping that people are eager for. Because, uh, and to a spoiler alert, again, black people, quote, never needed white people. Now, I, I know that sounds strange, but think about it like this. Integration was the worst of times. Integration was the worst of times. Then what was the best of times? Segregation. Because of strong black schools and strong teachers, strong families, and that kind of thing? See, I didn't even have to tell you. By themselves, segregated, they were able to strike oil without any impositions of white people. And they still own the land today with impositions of, quote, white people. Did you talk to any descendants of the people? Oh, yeah. I talked to descendants on a daily basis. In fact, one of the descendants, Michael Boyer, he's not called that. He's a Christian rapper. His name is Verbs. Wow. (laughs) Uh, I know Verbs. That's the longer version. And he wrote a song, produced it, and it's out now. It's called Afro Frontier. So that's why I'm telling you, Google. You can hear the song, the theme song of my book. Now, how many books have their own theme song? That Ooh, That's a pretty modern, cool right? marketing thing. Right? You're ahead of the curve. I, thank you. Yeah, thank I like you. that. I okay. like that. That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to go to one of the readings, and I look forward to, to learning more. And, and I hope that some of the listeners of this podcast buy your book and... Listen to the song. Listen to the song. Uh-huh. And, and go hear you read. Yes, indeed. And Google Afro Frontier. On that note, this has been another Conversations Different. We'll be back again next week. <laughs>